Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This podcast episode contains sexual references and references to suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Australia on This Day. My name's Michael Adams, and today we're going back to the 3rd of August, 1912. That was the day that one of Australia's most eccentric characters was arrested for being a lunatic. The first use of this power against him in a vendetta that would eventually make him a martyr to free speech. If you lived in Sydney in the first half of the 1910s, chances are you would have encountered William Chidley. He was pretty hard to miss. While the citizens of the city favoured Dow Black's blues and greys, this slender, tanned, bespectacled and bearded chap in his 50s wore a Grecian tunic and he went around barefoot. If his clothes were unusual, what he had to say was even stranger to Sydney society. William Chidley espoused what he called the answer, and those two words were written right on the side of the Gladstone bag he carried wherever he went. The Answer, which was also the title of his self-published book, which he'd sell to you right out of that bag, was his philosophy, and it embraced pacifism, vegetarianism, and temperance. So far, not so controversial, yet his primary argument was positively scandalous, and it was this. The erect penis was the cause of all of humanity's problems, including war. William Chidley was born in Melbourne around 1860. His adoptive parents were followers of Swedish philosopher Emanuel Swedenborg, a Christian reformer who reckoned he had regular visits to heaven and hell to chat with God, the devil and the angels. William's father was an itinerant photographer and the family moved around a lot. His dad also spent much time trying to build bamboo aeroplanes, believing he'd be the first man to conquer flight. Additionally, William's mum and dad were into free love, homeopathy and theosophy. It wasn't exactly a conventional upbringing in the 1860s and 1870s. While this might sound pretty hippy-trippy and self-accepting, William Chidley's adolescence was plagued by the obsessive belief that he was sullying his mind, body and soul through self-abuse. Such guilt wasn't unusual at the time because masturbation was considered to be a hideously aberrant behaviour. This needless and sinful depletion of semen, a vital fluid and source of energy, was thought to lead to stunted growth, physical and mental illness. Masturbation also affected your appearance, at least according to the then accepted voodoo science of phrenology. Young William Chidley spent much time examining himself in the mirror, and he even used a camera to record what he perceived to be his deterioration and deformity. To resist what one Christian organisation back then called the monster temptation, William once even hit his penis with a piece of timber, putting himself in agony for a week as his organ turned black with bruising. In 1880, William moved to Adelaide, where he'd support himself drawing illustrations for medical textbooks and working as a travelling portrait artist. Wrestling with sexual guilt and frustration, William turned to alcohol, 
And in 1882, he was acquitted of manslaughter after he was involved in a drunken street fight that left a man dead. Three years later, William married a woman named Ada, who was an alcoholic and a prostitute. He adopted her son David, and they'd live in Sydney, New Zealand, and Melbourne. Theirs was a tormented and tumultuous family. William would have affairs, he and Ada would separate during which time she'd go back to working as a prostitute, and William would also take out his own psychosexual problems on his adopted son, threatening to whip the boy if he was caught with an erection. Ada would die of alcoholism in Melbourne in 1908, by which time it appears David was living in New Zealand. Over the past two decades, William Chidley had been synthesising what he'd learned about sexuality from himself and from his medical illustration work with reading he'd done in public libraries in subjects such as biology, physiology and philosophy. He'd also absorbed the theories of the rational dress movement which advocated against the ridiculously constrictive garments worn at the time. William also blended ideas from his upbringing with his more recent studies to come up with a philosophy that was radical for the late 19th and early 20th century. What he concluded was this, men and women had been doing sex all wrong. He argued that an erect penis was like a crowbar and coitus as practiced was unnatural and a form of male sexual abuse. William believed that women should be the instigators of sex and it should only happen outdoors and in springtime. Under these circumstances, he said, vaginas would vacuum up flaccid penises and the result would be physically healthy, cosmically satisfying coitus as the universe had intended. If a couple had sex in this manner, he said, quote, all the naked rosy beauty of clouds, apples and spring blossoms shall pass into their child. Having once been diagnosed with tuberculosis, William claimed to have cured himself with a diet of fruit and nuts, which he recommended heartily. He also preached that people should go nude, or at least not wear constrictive garments. William Chidley's ideas were obsessive, and as he acknowledged later in his 600-page book, Confessions, they made him a lonely eccentric. However, he did have a pen pal in British sexologist Havelock Ellis, with whom he'd been corresponding since 1899. William sent his distant friend a copy of his confessions, and Havelock Ellis found his ideas and writing absolutely extraordinary. William had written about himself and his experiences and Australian society with unflinching honesty. He was free to be this frank because he had decided the book wouldn't be published until after he died. What would be published, however, was The Answer, which he started selling in Melbourne in 1911. Openly discussing sex then was considered offensive and potentially criminal, and Melbourne booksellers were fined for stocking The Answer. So William Chidley went to Sydney. If he hoped to get a fair hearing in the Harbour City, he was sadly mistaken. On the 10th of May, he was walking down George Street in a bathing suit, wearing a sandwich board advertising the answer and being followed by 200 people. A police officer wasn't going to stand for this and arrested him for behaving in an offensive manner and pushing people off the footpath. In court the next day, William denied the charges and said he was just trying to introduce Australians to the simple life via his discoveries. The magistrate told him, don't argue. But William did, saying, quote, People will eventually discard a lot of the clothing now worn. They ought to live 130 years. The magistrate said, no doubt, and then fined him five shillings. Reporting this case, the Sun's article concluded, quote, 
the Simple Life exponent will probably wear orthodox clothing in the future. The newspaper was very wrong about that. Donning a tunic because it covered his torso and was thus less likely to result in arrests, William was a regular in the domain and sold the answer there to curious members of his audience. William did gain some supporters who saw sense in some of what he said, though to most he was a laughingstock nicknamed the Petticoat Man. To the law, William Chidley was a menace to morality, saying things that should never be said in public and potentially corrupting the morals of men, but especially of women and children. Under the revised Police Act of 1908, New South Wales police could arrest and prosecute anyone they deemed to be acting in an offensive manner. Convictions were pretty much guaranteed because magistrates would take the word of police officers. From March 1912 to February 1916, William Chidley would be charged and brought before the court more than 20 times. A May 1912 prosecution was typical. A detective Jordan told the court that William had been talking to a crowd of some eight or 900 people in the domain. The officer said, quote, He was speaking of delicate matters which are not generally referred to, and as he referred to them, he held up a chart on which was depicted the figure of a woman. William told the court that what the detective had said was true, but he denied his language was offensive. The magistrate gave him a 20 shilling fine or the option of spending 14 days in jail. William was also ordered to pay a £50 bond, which would be forfeited if he offended again in the next 12 months. In 1912, £50 was what the average worker earned in four months. Despite arresting him repeatedly, police and politicians were frustrated because supporters paid his fines and William simply ignored magistrates' instructions that he was to desist from preaching, selling the answer and wearing his tunic in public. The medical establishment, they were even angrier because here was an unqualified man presuming to talk about sexuality in a way that embarrassed them and challenged their authority. Matters came to a head when William Chidley advertised that he'd be delivering a ladies-only lecture at King's Hall in Phillip Street on the 3rd of August 1912. Instead of talking to women, William Chidley was on this day 108 years ago arrested and charged with being insane. He was taken to the Darlinghurst Reception House and then transferred to Callan Park Lunatic Asylum. Dr. Eric Sinclair, the Inspector General of the Insane and Head of the Lunacy Department, would be William's interrogator. While police and politicians had tried to deny that William's garb was a reason for his persecution, it was clear from Dr. Sinclair's questions that it was a major factor. Dr. Sinclair said, quote, You have let this thing take possession of you. How far are you able to order yourself according to the ordinary standard of living? Your costume and standard of living are different from those of the community. William replied, It is no good me going about in conventional garb. I must be consistent. Dr. Sinclair, Let me develop the argument. Your conduct is different from the standards of the community. William, Hindus are British subjects and they are allowed to go in similar costume. Dr. Sinclair, But you are Australian. William Chidley was declared insane. This actually outraged a sizable sector of the public. Supporters defended his right to dress the way he wanted, and many called into question the so-called sanity of Sydney citizens who wore heavy suits and dresses through the city's sweltering summers. It also wasn't lost on supporters that William was being persecuted for dressing like the Greek philosophers on whose ideas democracy had been built. 
or that Christianity followed the teachings of a bearded peaceful chap in a robe who'd also been persecuted by the authorities. In the face of sustained protest, William Chidley was released in October 1912 on the condition that he didn't wear his tunic in public or make any further public lectures. Of course, he ignored this. The cycle of arrest and release continued, including another five-day stint behind bars for being insane at the end of 1913. Other methods of suppression were also used, police threatening to fine anyone who rented him a speaking venue, and in early 1914, the New South Wales Supreme Court banned the answer as obscene. That meant that William now couldn't make even a meagre living by selling his book. At the start of 1916, William was arrested yet again for being insane and taken again to the Darlinghurst Reception House for assessment. He wrote letters of complaints to friends, supporters and the newspapers. Then, on the 31st of January, he learned that these letters weren't being sent but were being given to the Inspector General, Dr Sinclair. Allowed into the reception house's garden, William jumped the wall and took a letter that he'd written to the Sun newspaper to a woman in a nearby house and implored her to post it. Then, William returned to the reception house because he'd given his word not to give them trouble by escaping. The Sun published William's letter in which he called Dr Sinclair's confiscation of his private correspondence an outrage against British liberty. He also explained why he'd voluntarily returned to incarceration. William wrote, quote, For God's sake, publish this letter and let the public know. The public know all about my former incarceration in Callan Park, from which place I was discharged. I am as sane now as when discharged. I am as sane as ever in my life. I am writing this in haste. I appeal to Australians. The lunacy department is working with the police. I am willing to be tried by any medical men except Dr. Sinclair and Dr. Chisholm Ross. This was another of his long-time persecutors, before whom I shall be brought this morning. Dr. Sinclair and Dr. Ross used his allegation of a conspiracy between them and the police as evidence of William's paranoia. And, as one of his intercepted letters had made reference to him wanting to take a horsewhip to doctors calling him a lunatic, Dr. Sinclair and Dr. Ross further concluded that William Chidley was now entering a homicidal phase. He was sent to a Goulburn Asylum, 100 miles from Sydney. Dr. Sinclair made this order and explicitly said it was to cut William off from his supporters. William Chidley's sanity, or otherwise, was to be the subject of a Supreme Court inquiry, which had been called for by the Chidley Defence and Liberty League. Mr H. Hetheringham, Secretary of the League, wrote a letter to the papers about his recent visit to see William in the asylum. Quote, Let me tell you, Mr Editor, of my interview. I said, Mr Chidley, do you think anybody can make you crazy? He shook his head and laughed. If I am crazy, my lad, the world is mad. They are trying to drive me mad. Mr. Hetheringham described his friend, quote, a man who has never said a harsh word except possibly against the medical profession. The awful mental strain of being in a madhouse had told on this unfortunate persecuted man. He paced feverishly up and down, then stopped short. William Chidley said, You have never been in an asylum. Never allow yourself to be. I am in. Keep out. Once a person gets in here, they will drive him mad. They have tried to drive me to desperation. The world knows I am sane, and I believe the world is sane. 
All I ask is a true test as to sanity. Should the authorities keep me here much longer, I shall doubt my own sanity. The ravings, the mouthings, the utterances and shrieks of men of unbalanced mind would unbalance a greater mind than my own. The Supreme Court inquest began at the end of May and Justice John Harvey heard from witnesses through to the middle of June. This included doctors who dissented, saying that William Chidley was sane. Delivering his verdict, Justice Harvey deferred to Dr. Sinclair and ruled that William Chidley was insane. Despite this, the judge said he didn't think that William posed a danger to himself and perhaps he could be allowed to live in seclusion with his supporters and be prevented from speaking to the impressionable public. Such a decision wasn't Justice Harvey's to make and Dr. Sinclair certainly wasn't going to let William Chidley go. More public outrage followed and in August, the New South Wales government ordered that William be released on bond subject to the usual conditions, which, of course, he soon violated. William was arrested again and hauled back into the Darlinghurst Reception House for assessment. Rather than jump the wall, on the 12th of October 1916, William got his hands on some kerosene and set himself ablaze in a suicide bid. Attendants extinguished the flames and saved his life, though the badly burnt William would spend the next four weeks in hospital before being put back into Callan Park Asylum. Over the next month or so, William made a good recovery and on the morning of the 21st of December, he was apparently in good spirits, chatting with other inmates after having a healthy breakfast. Then, walking along a veranda, he suddenly collapsed and hit his head. William was taken to the hospital unconscious and he died 10 minutes later. The post-mortem concluded William Chidley had died of heart failure, the result of heart disease. But one doctor tried to suggest, without evidence, that he'd had syphilis, which appeared to be a last attempt to paint him as a pervert and a lunatic. In 1935, Havelock Ellis, who'd quoted William's confessions in his own work, sent his copy of his late friend's memoir to the Mitchell Library in New South Wales. To Ellis, William Chidley had been, quote, one of the most original and remarkable figures that has ever appeared in Australia. William Chidley's confessions saw publication in 1977, with reviewers saying his honesty and literary talent meant he could have been one of our greatest writers. I'm Michael Adams and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. Make sure you're subscribed to get every episode as soon as it's released. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you could leave a review and rating at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're after more tales from our fascinating history, check out my other show, Forgotten Australia. This podcast was produced in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales on land traditionally owned by the Darug and Gundungurra people. Thanks for listening and catch you tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.